1: Second sermon of a series this summer on the book of Proverbs. So we're preaching topically through the book of Proverbs uh, this summer. We've we've got um, probably about ten or twelve uh, different topics that we'll be covering, and uh, things like um, we'll talk about uh, parenting, we'll talk about um, uh, friendship, talk about uh, work, and uh, words. And uh, things like that. So, um, but as as we think about proverbs, we need to ask the question: What what is proverbs? Right? What what is this book in the Bible? If it's it's if you turn kind of it's kind of in the middle of your Bible, there's this book there uh, that's part of what we call wisdom literature. Proverbs is wisdom literature. They're uh, proverbial sayings, right? That are meant to communicate God's wisdom. And uh, they're general truths, right? Things that are generally true, normally the case, right? This is normally how life operates. There are exceptions, but these are the norms. These are the kind of the general rules. They're pithy sayings, right? They communicate a lot in a, uh, a very um, short, uh, terse manner. So we have English versions of this that we use, right? There's one that you know is you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink, Right? What's funny is, have you ever said that or seen somebody saying that while they're watching a horse at water? No, never, because it's not really about horses and water, right? It's, it's a saying that's meant to communicate a truth about something else. Uh, and so these proverbs, these pithy sayings, these general truths, they're, they're like sweet, hard candy. If you take a, uh, a, a piece of sweet, hard candy and... Um, Uh, you want to get the most out of that, what do you do? You suck on it, right? You suck on it until it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You take your time with it, right? If you decide you want to rush the process and just chomp down on that piece of hard candy, well, then you're going to have a visit to the dentist, right? Uh, And so the Proverbs are meant to be meditated on and and, uh, uh, thought through carefully and contemplated. And one of the phrases in the book of Proverbs that repeats over and over again uh, is this phrase the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord over and over again. The idea is that the fear of the Lord is foundational to everything else. Right? If you if you have the fear of the Lord, then you have wisdom in all these other areas. But if you don't have the fear of the Lord, then you doesn't matter all these other areas. Right? It is foundational. It's necessary. Uh, And it's all over the scriptures, not just in Proverbs, but all over the Bible. If you've been a Christian for a long time or read the Bible a lot, um, perhaps like me, you've read that phrase and you just kind of gloss over it, the fear of the Lord or the one who fears the Lord. You just kind of gloss over it. and, And, you know, I haven't, you know, very often stopped and asked the question, well, what does that mean? What does the fear of the Lord mean? And, or better yet, do I have it? Do I have it? So, um, I'm going to read from uh, various Proverbs. I'm actually going to read about, I don't know, about 13 or 14 Proverbs for you. They're short. They're one or two lines. And, uh, and I'm going to give just a, a second in between each one for you to, to just meditate on it, for, it uh, for a moment, right? Let it soak in. Maybe one of these even in particular hits you, strikes you. So uh, if you're willing and able, would you stand? Uh, and you can follow along on the screens. That's going to be the easiest thing to do. So hear these Proverbs, hear God's word for you this morning. From Proverbs 1, verse 7, what many people feel is the theme verse of the whole book, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 3, verses 7 through 8, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Proverbs 8:13 says, "The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil; pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate." 9:10 says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight." 1027. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 14 2 Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. Twenty six and twenty seven of chapter fourteen. In the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 15:16 says, "Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it." Proverbs 16:6, 6, "By steadfast love and faithfulness iniquity is atoned for." and by the fear of the lord one turns away from evil. Proverbs 19:23 The fear of the lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Proverbs 23:17 says, "Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the lord all the day." 28:14 Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Proverbs 29:25, "The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe." And then finally, Proverbs 31, verse 30. "Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Holy Spirit, help us. Um, <clears throat> help us this morning. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive your word and your truth. Um, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, you may be seated. So, question for you is: Is fear bad, or is fear good? Is fear bad or is fear good? Um, Should a Christian not fear or should a Christian fear? Um, Okay, uh, show of hands, who thinks fear is bad and a Christian should not fear? Okay, who thinks fear is good and that a Christian should fear? Okay, who thinks this is a trick question and I'm trying to make you look dumb? Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. The most repeated command in the Bible, the whole Bible, the most repeated, often uh, given command from God is, do you know what it is? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The most repeated command over and over again in the Bible, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But then we have all these other verses, like from Proverbs that we read that commend to us the fear of the Lord. Uh, Acts nine thirty one says of the early church um, that they uh, throughout Judea Galilee Samaria they had peace they were being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. So the fear of the Lord is connected to the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the growth of the church. But then in 2 Timothy one Timothy says uh, or Paul says to Timothy God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. But Paul says in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then John says in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So is fear good or is fear bad? Is, should a Christian not fear, should a Christian fear? The answer, according to the Bible, is yes. Yes. Fear is good and fear is bad. There is a bad fear and there is a good fear. Uh, In in his book, On the Fear of the Lord, uh, Michael Reeves uh, writes this. He says, all of this can leave us rather confused. On the one hand, we are told that Christ frees us from fear. On the other, we are told we ought to fear and fear God, no less. It can leave us discouraged and wishing that the fear of God were not so prominent an idea in scripture. We have quite enough fears without adding more, thank you very much. And fearing God just feels so negative. It doesn't seem to square with the God of love and grace we meet in the gospel. Why would any God worth loving want to be feared? It is all made worse by the impression that fear and love are two different languages preferred by two different Christian camps, perhaps two different theologies, the one camp speaks of love and grace and never fearing God and the other camp seems angered by this and emphasizes how afraid of God we should be. The fear of God is like cold water on the Christian's love for God. We get the impression that the fear of God must be the gloomy theological equivalent of eating your greens, something the theological health nuts binge on while everyone else enjoys tasty or fair. Over the centuries Uh, theologians have given different labels to this good fear and bad fear that we find in the Bible. And here are some of them that they use. Bad fear is uh, servile fear while good fear is filial fear. Slavish fear versus holy fear. Ungodly fear versus godly fear. Sinful fear versus right fear. Understanding the difference between these two Uh, kinds of fear will help us see that uh, that curious phrase, the fear of the Lord, is actually not something negative, but rather beautiful and life-giving and glorious. Because the good news of the gospel is that it both frees us from fear and gives us fear. The gospel both frees us from fear and gives us fear. So if you'd like, take your sermon outline. It's on the inside cover of your Bulletin: Three points. Right. First, bad fear. Second, good fear. And then third, growing in fear. What is the bad fear that uh, the Bible condemns? What is good fear that the Bible condones? And how do we grow in fear? Okay. So first, uh, bad fear. And bad fear. um, I want to talk about two categories of bad fear: anxiety and religion. So first, anxiety, the bad fear of anxiety. It is, it is fascinating to ponder the fact that we have, as a society, more money, more access to healthcare, more safety, more leisure time, more information at our fingertips than any people in history, and yet we are riddled with anxiety. Um, do you remember? Uh, you remember this clip? from uh, Charlie Brown Christmas.
0: All right, now. What seems to be your trouble? I feel depressed. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. Well, as they say on TV, the mere fact that you realize you need help indicates that you are not too far gone. I think we better pinpoint your fears. If we can find out what you're afraid of, we can label it. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hypengeophobia. I don't think that's quite it. How about cats? If you're afraid of cats, you have alerophasia. Well, sort of, but I'm not sure. Are you afraid of staircases? If you are, then you have climacophobia. Maybe you have thalassophobia. This is fear of the ocean. Or chephorobia, which is the fear of crossing bridges. Or maybe you have pantophobia. Do you think you have pantophobia? What's pantophobia? The fear of everything.
1: That's it! All right, climacophobia, pantophobia. What are your phobias? What are your fears? Uh, Chapman University did a survey of U.S. adults. They found that as high as 85% of the population live with a sense of impending doom. 85%, impending doom. Uh, Here are the top 10 fears they found, 2022. People who said they were very afraid or afraid of these things. 62.1% said they were afraid of corrupt government officials. That was the number one response. Second, with um, 60%, people I love becoming seriously ill. Right. Very afraid or afraid of Russia using nuclear weapons, 59.6%. Uh, 58% said they were afraid of people I love dying. Uh, Fifth, the U.S. being involved in another world war, 56%. 54.5% afraid of pollution of drinking water, 53.7% not having enough money for the future, uh, 53.7% economic or financial collapse, afraid or very afraid of pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes, 52.5%. 51.5% of uh, respondents said they're afraid of biological Warfare. That's the top 10 from their survey in 2022. What would be in your top 10? What would be uh, are your fears and phobias? I, it's been interesting, um, uh, having not grown up in Florida, but been here for a while now, uh, learning about you know, how things work around hurricane season. So we just started hurricane season, right? And every hurricane season, we go through this uh, fear. What if one comes here? And, uh, and I remember a few years ago, there, there was one, and I never remember their names, but there was one that, that uh, started out in the uh, way off like in Africa and came across the Atlantic and uh, was like building, 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 became this massive hurricane and then came around the bottom of Florida and then came right up the West Coast and went right over top of us. And, uh, and it was gonna be this massive storm. We hunkered down in the gym. And, uh, and, but it took like, a week or more for this thing to get to us. And for an entire week, when, you're, when, when this hurricane's coming, uh, really, there's not much to do other than, like, watch the Weather Channel, right? And, uh, and, and when the Weather Channel is in storm alert mode, they have this theme song, and I heard this for like a week straight, and now every time I hear it, I get like PTSD from it. I, I'm just curious if anybody else recognizes this, so. Like ah, I just I feel the fear start to build inside of me, right? And um, for a week that went on, and uh, and then it got here, and it wasn't even that bad. And um, but but that's kind of like what our culture is like. Our culture today just has this this ongoing soundtrack, this kind of severe storm alert, constantly in the background, making us anxious, making us afraid. And um, so, uh, what do we do with that? Um, Michael Reeves uh, says this, he says, our private daily routines are filled with still more sources of anxiety. Take our diet, for example. If you choose the full fat version on the menu, you're heading for a heart attack. Yet, we're regularly confronted with the latest discovery that the low calorie alternative is actually carcinogenic or harmful in some other way. And so, a low-grade fear starts with breakfast. (laughs) From seat belts and airbags in our cars to the removal of lead paint and asbestos from our homes, our safety is guarded more than our shorter-lived ancestors could have imagined. We have antibiotics to protect us from infections that in other centuries would have been all too easily fatal But rather than rejoicing, we worry we're becoming immune, and so heading into a post-antibiotic health apocalypse. Safety has become the holy grail of our culture. And like the holy grail, it is something we can never quite reach. Protected like never before, we are skittish and panicky like never before. Um, Proverbs twenty-nine, twenty-five says the The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man is one of those fears. Um, It used to be number one on my list, and uh, now I don't know where it is. Sometimes it creeps on the list every now and then, but growing up especially, um, the approval of man, the approval of others, right? Having their favor uh, is a fear, and that fear lays a snare, it lays a trap, right? And, uh, and that's what our fears do. Whatever your fear is, even if it's not the fear of man, whatever it is, it lays a trap for you, it lays mines around you, and um, waiting for you uh, to trap you and um, destroy you. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe, Why do we have a culture of anxiety? Uh, It's actually not new, this culture of anxiety. It's actually as old as the Bible and as the world itself. Um, It began in the garden. Adam and Eve decided that they would try to do life without God, that they would cast off God and his supervision and care and his rules, and they would do life on their own. And as a result, uh, as a result of their disobedience and sin, it says that God was walking in the garden and uh, Adam and Eve heard God walking and they did what? They hid themselves in the trees. And God comes and says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I heard you walking in the cool of the garden and I was afraid. I was afraid. And so I hid myself. Um, You see, when we throw off God... When our culture throws off God, we become unanchored, tossed about, helplessly fragile and full of fear. Jesus um, said to his disciples one time, they were in a boat and uh, a huge storm came up and these, these uh, fishermen who should have known exactly what to do and had all this experience, the storm was so great and powerful that they were completely afraid and overwhelmed and uh, they wake Jesus up, because Jesus is asleep in the boat, and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus says to the storm, hush. And it's, everything is calm, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Oh, you of little faith. So there's a connection between our anxiety and fears and our faith, or our lack of faith, our lack of trust in God. Anxiety seems to grow best in the soil of unbelief. So we have this this bad fear of anxiety, but there's also another kind of bad fear to which we are prone. Uh, And I think it's the kind, it's actually what many people think when they hear that phrase, the fear of the Lord, Most people, I think, when they hear the phrase, the fear of the Lord, uh, think of religion. Because religious people are some of the most fearful people you will ever meet. I should know, because I've been one, and I can be one. Religious people are some of the most fearful people you will ever meet. Um, Listen to this very carefully. Religious people don't fear God. Religious people are afraid of God. There's a difference between fearing God and being afraid of God. Um, religion teaches that God is harsh and dreadful, right? He is, he is God. And because he is God, you better quake in your boots before him and show your reverence and live in a way that appeases him or he will smite thee, right? Um, religion can create impressively moral and obedient people, but it can never create people who fear the Lord rightly from the heart. Because in religion, there's no relationship with God. It's just a cold, dead, outward show, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. That's why um, some theologians call this form of bad fear, they call it um, servile fear or slavish fear. Because religion... The result of religion is always fearful, exhausting bondage, trying to please a God who you're not sure can ever be pleased. Um, Martin Luther is uh, a great example of this. Luther was um, religious and more religious than anyone else, right? He was a monk, and uh, he made it his life's effort to please God, to confess his sins over and over again, to try to get to the bottom of, of every sin and and spent hours and hours confessing it he tried to, to do good works and and to uh, to earn god 's favor and as a result of all of his religious effort, Martin Luther said that um, he didn 't love God he hated God. he looked at God as this as this righteous judge who demanded of him perfection um, but of which he could never attain. And so uh, he said, I despised God. I hated him um, because I was trying to live uh, a life of religion. Uh, Proverbs 1 verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 14 two says, whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. That word despise, right, is an an emotional word. It's a word of contempt and relational aloofness to despise someone. Religion is the sinful fear that we can fall back into when we forget the gospel of grace and we instead try to live out of duty and performance. Religion causes us to view God with a cringing dread. Right? Oh no, here he comes. Uh, I'm in for it now. Being afraid of God always leads to despising him. That's what religion does. And so, bad fear is that fear that is defined by anxiety and religion. So, second, what about good fear? Um, what then is good fear? What is the fear of the Lord properly understood? Uh, Isaiah 11 is a prophecy. Uh, uh, in the Old Testament, it's a prophecy about Jesus, telling about the Messiah. And, uh, and Isaiah says about Jesus there, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to delight in the things that Jesus delights in. And Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord in which we should delight? The fear of the Lord, properly understood, is this. It is living before God with gravity and gladness. The fear of the Lord is living before God with gravity and gladness. It is taking seriously his transcendence, his majesty, his holiness, his justice, and taking seriously his mercy, his compassion, his grace, and his love. When, when people meet God in the Bible, they fall on the ground, and uh, the fear of the Lord is a loving fear in which you fall, toward, uh, you fall down facing God, right? You fall toward him, not away from him. You fall down facing him, not fleeing him. Those who, those who see God only as, uh, as their creator are afraid of God. But those who fear God see him also as their redeemer. So you think of the Grand Canyon, Right, you, you've uh, if you've been there, or if you've had other experiences, like you know, standing on top of a mountain or being in a boat in the middle of the ocean. You know, you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, and how does that make you feel? And I think John Piper said one time, nobody goes to the Grand Canyon um, to boost their self-esteem. <laughs> right, it makes you feel small. It makes you feel um, like uh, tiny. It, it it gives you perspective. Right, you stand the Grand Canyon, you realize God is great. He is God, and I am not. You have those experiences, and you see God as the creator, and as the judge, as the powerful one, as the mighty one, but if that's all that you see him as, then you will never fear him. Um, uh, thunderstorms is another example, right? Um, when there's a large thunderstorm, it's scary, right? And uh, Charles Spurgeon mentions this. He he talks about uh, experiencing thunderstorms, and this is what he says. He says, "Men are by nature afraid of the heavens." The superstitious dread the signs in the sky, and even the bravest spirit is sometimes made to tremble when the firmament is ablaze with lightning and the peeling thunder seems to make the vast concave of heaven to tremble and to reverberate. But I always feel ashamed to keep indoors when the thunder shakes the solid earth and the lightning's flash or arrows from the sky. Then God is abroad, and I love to walk out in some wide space and to look up and mark the opening gates of heaven as the lightning reveals far beyond and enables me to gaze into the unseen. I like to hear my heavenly father's voice in the thunder. Oh, that's so good. I like to hear my heavenly father's voice in the thunder. In the, in the, the thing at which I tremble I not only see God as creator, I see him as father. I like to hear his voice in the thunder. Um, You should tremble before the Lord. You should be overwhelmed. God is not a truth to be known unaffectedly, but a person to be loved passionately. But the fear of the Lord draws you closer in rather than repelling you further away. That's why some people have called it a filial fear, as opposed to a servile fear. A filial fear is the the kind of fear that a son or a daughter has of their father. It's the posture of a son or daughter towards their dad. Um, Some people might, you know, you might think of the fear of the Lord as you're driving down the road and you notice that there's a policeman in your rearview mirror, right? And when you notice that, and he's following you for like two miles, And, uh, and so you're hands are on the steering wheel. You think, oh, he's going to pull me over. He's going to, he's going to trap me. Um, what did I do wrong? That's how most people think uh, of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is actually more like a teenage girl who's driving down the road, and she looks near her rearview mirror, and she sees her father behind her. And she still makes sure she puts on her blinkers and is holding onto the steering wheel and doesn't do anything, but she's not afraid In fact, she's comforted because she knows that her father is there to watch out for her, to take care of her, um, to make sure that she's safe. Um, That's more like the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord leads to an openness to God, an eagerness to please him, a humility to be instructed by him. Uh, That's what so many of these Proverbs communicate, right? Proverbs 3, 7, and 8, be not wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Proverbs 16.6, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. 23.17, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. That's why John Murray called the fear of the Lord the soul of godliness. The fear of the Lord, our rejoicing and trembling before him, inspires us to appreciate his character, encourages us to hate sin, and makes us long to be like Christ. Here's another quote from Spurgeon. He says, Now it would be very wrong for a child merely to restrain himself in his Father's presence out of respect for him, and then break the bounds with unbridled licentiousness in his Father's absence, as I fear many do. But you and I need not fall into this danger, because we are always in the presence of our Heavenly Father in every place. Who among us that fears God as he ought would wish to do anything anywhere which is wrong and offensive to him? A sense of the presence of God, a conscience that prompts one to say, thou, God, seest me, fosters in the soul a heavenly fear which you can easily see would rather in spirit than intimidate a man. It is a filial, childlike fear in the presence of one whom we deeply reverence, lest we should do anything contrary to his mind and will. The fear of the Lord. Uh, the fear of the Lord... Properly understood is the answer to all of our other fears. It is a God-centered focus, right? An attentiveness to him and at work in our lives, a mindfulness of his purposes and his, promise, his promises and his presence. When we're living in the fear of the Lord, it's, it's like Aaron's staff. Do you remember when God sent uh, Moses and Aaron uh, to um, Pharaoh and, uh, and Pharaoh's magicians took their staffs and threw them on the ground, and they turned into snakes. And uh, the staff that God gave Aaron turned into a, a snake and ate the other ones. Right? The fear of the Lord is like Aaron's staff. It eats all of your other fears. It consumes them, all of your little fears Proverbs 14, 26 through 27 says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 19, 23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Strong confidence, refuge, Fountain of life, resting satisfied, unable to be fully or finally harmed. I want to show you a uh, what I think is a beautiful example of what it means to fear the Lord. And it, it happened just this week uh, in a, a, um, a press conference with some players from the uh, University of Oklahoma softball team. And... Uh, and I think this is uh, a beautiful example of what it means to fear the Lord. Watch this. Alex Garbo with ESPN. For, for the players, I know you talk about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in?
0: Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So, uh, I, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000% agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I, I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world, if we do lose, yes, obviously we worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up and you guys Mm -hmm. see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And, um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and and our love for each other and our love for the game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just think Once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And, I mean, I know myself, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all— have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy and no matter the outcome whether we get a trophy in the end or not we this isn't our home and I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more we have an eternity of joy with our father and I'm so excited about that and yes I live in the moment but I know this isn't my home and um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our king. So,
1: And awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Proverbs 31.30 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So, how do we grow in this fear? How do we grow in good fear? How do we, how do we grow in the fear of the Lord? Um, the Lord said to Isaiah in Isaiah 8, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Don't fear those other things. Fear the Lord. How do we do that? How do we grow in that? How do we grow in godly fear? It's like Adam said last week about wisdom. It's both a gift to be received and a habit to be cultivated. Right? It's a, it's a gift that has to be received and then it's a habit that has to be cultivated. Um, the fear of the Lord comes from God. It has worked in us by the Holy Spirit when we are first regenerated and in our ongoing sanctification. It is the work of the gospel in our hearts, the work of the Spirit. It is first and foremost a matter of the heart. Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. The Holy Spirit has given us a new heart, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. And whenever we feel our heart starting to calcify, the habit that we do is we soak it afresh in the grace of God. Right? Having re- received the fear of the Lord and, and the work of the Holy Spirit, when we feel ourselves, our hearts starting to harden, we, the habit is we, we turn again to the gospel, right? We turn again to Jesus and his grace. John Bunyan wrote this. He says, There is nothing in heaven or earth that can sow all the heart As the grace of God. Tis that which makes a man fear. Tis that which makes a man tremble. Tis that which makes a man bow and bend and break to pieces. Nothing has that majesty and commanding greatness in and upon the hearts of the sons of men as has the grace of God. And where do we see the grace of God most gloriously displayed? In Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the one who feared the Lord always, the one who hated and turned away from evil, the one who was never anxious but always trusted his Father, the one who fulfilled the law perfectly, not just externally but internally from the heart, the one who willingly chose to exchange all of his righteousness for all of our sinfulness. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the cross? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when the stone was rolled away? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble. One last quote from Charles Spurgeon. God's goodness often fills us with amazement And amazement has in it an element of fear. We are astonished at the Lord's gracious dealings with us. And we say to him, Why hast thou been so good to me for so many years and in such multitudes of forms? Why hast thou manifested so much mercy and tenderness toward me? Thou hast treated me as if I had never grieved or offended thee. O God, thy love is like the sun. I cannot gaze upon it. Its brightness would blind my eyes. I fear because of thy goodness. I have a friend. Um, uh, we're in a group together. We, we get together once a year to encourage one another. We go somewhere in the country for like a weekend. And, and um, <clears throat> we were together. And uh, um, this guy has... Uh, gone through the hardest things um, of his life in the last couple years. He's um, uh, been accused of things that he didn't do and uh, lost his job that he shouldn't have lost. He's now working a job that he never thought he'd be working. Uh, he has had um, days and weeks and months where he didn't wanna get out of bed, where he didn't wanna go on living and um, we were with him on this uh, weekend, and uh, um, our, our custom is to, uh, on Sunday morning, go to church wherever we're at. Uh, and so that morning, uh, that Sunday morning, he gets a phone call uh, giving him another blow, another uh, thing that just crushed him. And, um, so we're driving to, to, to this church and uh, I said to him, Hey, listen, I mean, I get it. Like you, you don't want to be around people. I know you don't trust, uh, the, the church or other Christians. And, um, so listen, you know, we're going to go to this church. If you want us to, we'll drop you off at Starbucks and why don't you just, you know, rest and we'll come back and pick you up afterwards. And he looked at me with this kind of steely-eyed resolve and said, Brandon, I have to hear God's word preached. I need Jesus. So friends, I know that you came in here this morning with a lot of anxieties and fears. Maybe you came here just out of religious duty My plea to you this morning is to soak in the grace of God in Jesus, because growing in fear means growing in Christ. Let his love make you tremble. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we don't have to be afraid of you. Help us to fear you. Grow a healthy fear of you, a fear that draws us in closer, that makes us fall down toward you and not away from you. Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you, would you grow this fear in us and would you cause us Would you cause it to um, eat away all the other little fears in our lives and cause it to grow in us a passion for you and a relationship with you that that runs away from those other things that we don't need and is satisfied in you. We pray in Christ's name, amen.